reading open as we, we take a few things out of it, thinking about a baptism. And of course, being a, a baptism service, I was inspired to show you a photo of my baptism. This is me up on the screen as a young strapping lad of 18 years old at my baptism up on stage, just like you guys were a few moments ago. Uh, that big, tall, handsome guy there, that's me. And then that's my best mate, uh, Richie. And uh, this guy here was my young adults pastor, Andrew Harper. And the guy behind him there was a senior pastor uh, at our church. And, uh, and that there is the corrugated iron baptismal tub. Uh, quite a nice Aussie touch. Uh, and it was very cold, I remember. It was a wonderfully special day. Uh, and it was on the 24th of, uh, sorry, the 20, yeah, the 24th of February. And of course, today is the 25th. Of February, so uh, it was 22 day- years ago yesterday uh, that I was um, baptised uh, as an 18-year-old uh, there in a corrugated iron tub. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. How wonderful! Thank you for clapping. That's very encouraging. So uh, I was 18. I had just finished Year 12, and I was an incredibly anxious and insecure teenage boy. This is me with my year 12 physics and maths teacher, Mr. K, who also taught me in year 11 and told me at the end of year 11, having taught me all year, Kieran, whatever you do, don't study maths and physics in year 12. (laughs) And so, of course, I went on to study maths and physics in year 12, which is no small reason for why I think I was so anxious and insecure by that stage. Uh, You might be able to see the kind of signing, people signing my shirt, uh, and I could sense what was coming, and it wasn't going to be good, and it wasn't good. But over that summer, I met Jesus at one of my lowest points. I was at a youth camp called Summer Under the Sun put on by CMS, the Church Missionary Society, and God spoke to me directly through the words that he spoke to Joshua. Uh, Joshua was a guy who was a young guy, and he was standing on the edge of the promised land, but it was a land filled with giants. And God said to Joshua, and he spoke to me, be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And those words struck me, the voice of the living God. And so a few nights later at camp, I went to the speaker who was preaching and I asked him to please pray for me as I was facing a land that was filled with giants. And he prayed for me and I had an amazing encounter with the living Lord Jesus. And I can remember being overwhelmed with two things. The first thing was a sense of my guilt and my sin and my shame for how I turned my back on this Jesus who was such a faithful friend. But more than that, I was overwhelmed by a sense of his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And I was a changed man and I can remember going back to my room with the guys who were kind of throwing pillows at each other and I knew that I was a changed man. I knew that I would never be the same. A few weeks later, I got a call from my best mate Richie and he's like, mate, I've been thinking for a long time. I really should get baptised. And I said, oh my goodness, you know what? I've been thinking exactly the same thing. And so a month later, 
on the 24th of February, 2002, we did what Jesus commands all of his followers to do, and that is that we were baptised. And so today what I want to do as I look at a few um, verses from Matthew chapter 3 is I just want to draw out two things from uh, Matthew chapter 3, particularly verse 2 and verse 6, because it's good for us to know what it is that we're doing today and what is baptism. And so the first thing I want you to notice, and I hope you've got the Bible in front of you from verse 1, is that baptism is about Repentance. Have a look at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Baptism is about repentance. Repentance means a complete turnaround. So imagine a husband driving in a car with his wife. Not too hard to imagine. You might imagine all sorts of things. And she says to her husband, At the T intersection, turn right. They get to the T intersection, and he turns left. And then he says, oh, I'm sorry, darling, I'm going the wrong way. Is that repentance? That is not repentance. Saying sorry doesn't get me them any closer to where they want to be. It doesn't even stop them getting further and further away from where they want to be. No, in order to get where they want to go, he has to stop, turn around, and start going in the other direction. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is a complete turnaround. I wonder if you heard this in the questions that I asked Micah, April, and Lucy just a few moments ago. Hear the repentance in these questions. Do you turn to Christ? I turn to Christ. Do you repent of your sins? I repent, that means turn around of my sins. Do you reject selfish living and all that is false and unjust? I reject them all. Do you renounce Satan and all evil? I renounce all that is evil. Baptism is about repentance, turning a life around. But now I want you to notice in the reading the reason why John the Baptist says repent. Did you notice there in verse 2? Repent, he says. Why? Why? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's why you should... What's he talking about? Well, I think it helps if you break the word kingdom down into its two parts, right? The king and his domain. Dom is short for domain or dominion, right? So the king, that's King Jesus, has a domain, has a dominion. So you've got the king and his domain. What's he saying? He's saying that God has lent us the world that he made. God is the king and he put us and loaned us the world that he made to take care of. But we as humans have mounted an insurrection against the king because we've decided that we know better how to run it on our own. And so when John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of God has come near, he's saying King Jesus is coming to come and bring back what is his own. You're insurrectionists, and the king is coming to bring back what is, what is his own. And so that leaves you with two options now that the king has come. You can repent and bow the knee to the king, or you can keep on rebelling and running his world your way. Uh, to use another car analogy, imagine if there's some uh, rich guy who's also loving and gracious and good, and he decides to lend you his 
Lamborghini. And he obviously wants to give you some instructions, tells you how to use it. He says, whatever you do, use petrol and not diesel. But you decide that you know better how to drive a Lamborghini, and so you put diesel in the Lamborghini. What does that do to the engine? The engine is destroyed. And then imagine this rich guy comes back and he's loaned you his Lamborghini and now you owe him a massive debt that you cannot pay. When John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of God has come near, he's saying that we have messed things up. You don't have to look far to see that, do you? That this world that we've been given, we have messed things up. We have polluted the world. We've polluted our hearts. We've polluted our minds. And the king is coming to get back what's his own. But we've messed things up. And so that's why in verse 6 it says, They were baptized by John in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Confessing that they have messed it up. But I just want to focus on where they were baptised. Did you notice in verse 6, they were baptised where? In the river Jordan. And that is so important. And the reason that that is so important is because everyone who was there that day knew what God had done in the river Jordan so many hundreds of years ago. They were in no doubt about what had happened at the River Jordan so many hundreds of years ago. This is a picture of the actual uh, River Jordan today. I don't know if it looked like that, you know, 3,000 years ago. But everyone there on that day knew what had happened at the River Jordan. Can you remember the story? The Israelites had been wandering, wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness, grumbling and complaining, and they were there because of their disobedience against God. It was not a happy place. But when their time was up, God brought them to the edge of the promised land. This is the Joshua story. And he parted the river Jordan so that they crossed through, through the waters, through the river Jordan, from the land of suffering and punishment and the desert into what? Into the promised land, a land flowing with what? With milk and honey. And so it is not insignificant that John the Baptist was baptizing people in the river Jordan. This story is not unlike the great story of the Old Testament. When the people of God were slaves in Egypt under an evil tyrant and dictator called Pharaoh and they were oppressed and they were enslaved, and they were mistreated. But God raised up a prophet, Moses, who said to Pharaoh, Rosalie, top of the class, she's one of our Sunday school teachers. Moses said, let my people go so that they may worship me on the mountain. And Pharaoh said... No, ten times until God brought the final plague, which was the Passover, where God sent the angel of death and they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the angel of death passed over and then finally the next morning they woke up with their firstborn sons dead, including Pharaoh, and finally Pharaoh relented and he let the people go. And so they with haste left slavery in Egypt And then they made their way. But then guess what happened? 
Pharaoh changed his mind. What on earth have we done? We're going to get them and bring them back. So they brought the hordes of the um, Egyptian armies chasing after them. And the Israelites were stuck on the edge of another body of water. This time, not the River Jordan, but the Red Sea. And you know how the story goes. God parted the Red Sea and they moved again through the waters to the other side of the Red Sea. And then God caused the waters to come back down and Pharaoh and his armies were buried at the bottom of the sea. Do you see the significance of the waters of baptism? You see, one of the things about the waters of baptism, it's that they represent, the. by the way, this is Noah and the flood as well, they represent the judgment of God on everything and everyone that opposes him. These people who have mounted an insurrection against him, the waters of baptism represent judgment on anything and everything that would rise up in resistance against God's power, God's kingdom, God's authority. And you know what baptism says? Baptism says, you know what, there's a part of that that's in me. There's a part that needs to die, that needs to be judged. It's a part that is resistant to the rule and reign of King Jesus. That's what baptism says. And that's why baptism is about repentance. It's about leaving the land of slavery and rebellion and punishment for sin and then passing through the waters safely and coming out on the other side into the land of freedom. I've been set free. Freedom and forgiveness and everlasting life. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life, That means the power of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free by the Spirit of Jesus. And that's what the waters of baptism mean. But the second thing I want you to know is that baptism is about good news as opposed to good advice. What's the difference? Well, the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones has pointed out that Christianity is based on an historical event in a way that sets it apart completely from every other religion. You see, baptism is a reenactment of something that actually happened in history. And by the way, no classical professor of history in their in, worth their salt would deny the reality, the historical reality of Jesus. If you doubt that, please do yourself a favour and look into it. Baptism is a reenactment of something that happened, a historical event, which means it's good news and not good advice. So stay with me. Advice, what is it? It's counsel about something that you need to do that you haven't done yet. That's what advice is. Whereas news is a report about something that has already happened. You can't do anything about it. It's already happened. That's what news is. So imagine a king going out to battle against an invading army that's going to wipe out the city and the kingdom. And he goes out in order to defend his kingdom. 
if the king defeats this invading army, he'll send back messengers to the capital city with incredibly good news. The enemy has been defeated. The work is finished. The king has won. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be scared. All you have to do now is party hard and rejoice. Live in the light of the good news that the enemy's been defeated and the king has won. But if the invading army breaks through the king who's trying to defend, then what the king does is he sends back military advisors with a message, with advice. Horsemen, over here. Swordsmen, over here. Marksmen, over here. The invading army is coming and you need to fight for your lives. Do you see the difference between good news and good advice? You see, the fact is that every other religion, including secular religion, says this. If you want to be someone, if you want to make it to heaven, however it is that you define heaven, we're not a religious society, but we have secular religion. So if your definition of heaven is you might want to be really, really rich, or really, really successful, or really, 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 really ridiculously good-looking, right? And that's a popular one in Cottesloe, isn't it? So whatever your religion is, whatever your definition of heaven is, the message is you better fight for your lives. Here are the rules. Here are the regulations. Here's the list of things that you can do. Here are the list of the things that you can't do. If you want to make it to heaven, you better fight for your lives. And so you know what? Religion is exhausting. Do you feel that? Religion is founded on fear, anxiety, and exhaustion because you've got to fight for your lives. But the gospel, good news, is exhilarating. It brings joy. It brings love. It brings peace. It brings hope. Baptism is about what God has done. Religion is about what you have to do. And so baptism is like the good news that Philip Stibb heard one day on April 29, 1945. Philip Stibb was a British prisoner of war along with a whole bunch of others who were being guarded by Japanese soldiers in a prison called Rangoon Jail. But on this day, they'd recently left Rangoon Jail, where they'd spent months, in Philip's case, years, being tortured and deprived. But now they were moving and being marched by the Japanese soldiers to a new Location. The ones who made it through the torture and the deprivation were exhausted, emaciated and confused. And they were marching under the watchful eye of the Japanese soldiers until one of them, the commander, barked out some orders in Japanese and then basically allowed all the British soldiers to take a rest underneath a tree. And because they were so emaciated and exhausted, most of them fell fast asleep. Well, a few hours they woke up 
And they quickly realised that all of the Japanese soldiers were gone. Not a single one in sight. There was confusion. They were wondering what happened until the British brigadier who had been the commander of the troops called everyone to attention and they came to attention and then he brought the news that took their breath away. He said, gentlemen, I've got news for you that you've been waiting to hear for a long time. We've all been set free. I want to talk about their reaction and how they responded to that news in a moment. But before that, I want to tell you how it happened. The Japanese soldiers, it was World War II obviously, had received news that the Allied forces had won. There was no use fighting anymore. The Allied forces had gained the victory and they were on their way to set the British prisoners free from Rangoon jail. And so what the Japanese did is that they decided to march the British soldiers towards the approaching Allied forces to basically do a drop and run for your lives. And that's what they did when they woke up. And so within a few hours, the Allied forces came to these British troops and they were safe and secure and free. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian here today, you have heard the good news that King Jesus has come into the world and he has fought the decisive battle to defeat Satan and death and sin and hell through his death and resurrection. And you know that the war has been won. It hasn't finished yet. But we know beyond a shadow of a doubt who wins. Who wins? Jesus wins. And Jesus, King Jesus, has promised that he is coming back to liberate his children from all death and suffering and evil and to bring us through the final waters, the River Jordan, into the promised land where he will wipe every tear away from our eyes. Death will be no more. Grief and suffering and pain will be no more for the old order of things has passed away. Can I get an amen? I want to finish by telling you how the British soldiers responded to the news that they'd been set free. And just to give you a little bit of a hint, I'm going to invite the band to come up because we're going to, in a few moments, we're going to sing. Philip Stibb in this book, he describes the moment when they heard the news that they had been set free. He says this, There was an audible gasp of astonishment. And a few seconds passed while this amazing news sank in. Then pandemonium broke loose. There was a great shout of joy as the full realisation of what it meant came over us. Then we all went completely crazy, patting one another on the back, shaking hands, laughing and weeping together all at once. It actually reminds me of what happened when God brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt through to the promised land. And when they got to the other side and they knew that Pharaoh and all of his armies were buried at the bottom of the sea. Do you know what they did? 
they sang and they danced and they clapped and they shouted. And brothers and sisters, I know we've got a lot of Anglicans here, but do you want to sing? Do you want to clap? Do you want to dance? Do you want to shout? Jesus has won. He has won the victory. Today is a good day. These guys are getting baptized.